Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Rich Lee, and welcome to Tap Into Greater Olean's weekly podcast. Today we have kind of a different take on our podcast. I'm joined here by the student staff of, um, for this semester's Tap Into Greater Olean, um, and we're going to talk about a project that the class is working on involving the freedom of information law and access to public records. Um, every year the American Society of Newspaper Editors sponsors something called Sunshine Week, where they stress transparency, access to public records. They encourage journalists and student journalists to do exercises and write stories that involve um, accessing public records. And, and last year in this class, um, we took advantage of Sunshine Week and did freedom of information requests for the towns we covered. Um, we were asking about use of municipal vehicles. Uh, this year we decided to focus on a topic that's been you know, in the news very much lately and affects the college community, affects the, the greater community here in Olean, and that's the recently enacted um, plan by the state of New York proposed by Governor Cuomo for free tuition at state colleges and universities. And actually it was just signed into law um, by the governor, but he proposed it back in January. And what we decided to do was to go back and see what the conversation was like back in January when this plan was first unveiled. We know what everyone was saying publicly, but we thought it would be interesting to uh, look at what the key players were saying, um, especially the key players in our area, um, maybe what their initial reaction was via email, were they contacted by the governor's office or other people to lobby for it, some people to lobby against it. Uh, so we decided to request um, all of the emails that some key decision makers in our uh, area um, had on January 3rd when the um, proposal was unveiled publicly and also on January 2nd, the day before. Uh, we asked legislators because ultimately they were the ones who were going to vote on it. Uh, we asked school and municipal officials, school officials especially, guidance counselors would, um, you know, have, you know, it would affect them and how they advise students. And we also asked um, people at Jamestown Community College, since it is a SUNY institution uh, with a campus here in Olean. Uh, we did not request records from St. Bonaventure. It's a private uh, institution, so their records are not subject to um, freedom of information um, laws. So um, before we start talking about you know, the process and what our findings were, you know, since everyone here is a student, I just wanted to get a, a general sense of, you know, you know, how are students reacting to this? Like, what's the sense on campus to the fact that, you know, now there is a law in New York State uh, where you could possibly, you know, go to college for free? I guess, uh, this is Taylor Walker. Uh, I guess some of the things that I've been hearing is, man, we were late um, or we were too early in the time. Now, if you're like a senior in high school, it's kind of interesting because they were making these decisions right now, so is that going to impact if they were going to come to, say, St. Bonaventure Private University or a school that you could possibly have free tuition if you follow all these guidelines and are able to qualify for it? So, I mean, it's a lot harder probably on the juniors and seniors in high school right now, but 
for us, that probably would have been awesome for some of us who qualified for that. But um, to look at it now, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens here at St. Bonaventure, too, because will our um, will more students come here because of the great education, or will students go to another university because there's free tuition? So you got to look at your education versus how much it costs, too. Yeah. Well, why don't you put yourself back in time four years? If you were a junior in high school and this plan was out there, would you take a serious look at it? Oh, I would definitely take a serious look at it. To see how much um, my parents would make back then, I would probably be eligible for it. So. And then if I would want to stay in New York four years after college, heck yeah, I would do it. That's free tuition. How much I'm paying here is a lot, but obviously I get a great education. But I would definitely look into it more and see what other universities there are throughout all of New York State. Okay. I mean, is there anyone at the table who would not look into it? So, yeah, Jen. Um, I feel like I wouldn't really look into it because I was actually between the school and Jessica, Um and like, I just feel like I wanted to go to a school that like actually fit me, and I don't think it mattered about like the money kind of thing. Like, it was more like, oh, like this is a school for me, not because of like the price. Yeah. Okay. Everyone else, Emily, how do you feel? Um, <clears throat> I think it's a great opportunity for kids who probably don't have, you know, the money to go to a private university, but I think it could hurt a lot of private universities like St. Bonaventure because, you know, having that option out there may sway a lot of kids' decisions. So, you know, we're already having trouble with enrollment, so uh, we might still have a really hard time to get students to come here. Yeah, I think one of the great unknowns is what impact it actually will have uh, on the university. So, um, you know, Bryce, what, what do you think? Oh. Um, I think there's definitely a lot of mixed reactions on campus to uh, the plan. But looking back, if I were a senior in high school, I think this is definitely something that I would consider doing. Okay. Good. Uh, we should mention, we were talking before we started the podcast, that like with a lot of things, there's a lot of fine print with this bill. It's not, you know, you don't just get a check for four years in college. There's some conditions involved. One of the um, most serious is, you know, you're, if you take advantage of this program, you're required to live in New York State for the same number of years that you take advantage of it. So if you get four years free tuition, um, you're, you have to live and hopefully work in New York for four years. Uh, there's each Schools are going to set, I believe, their own GPA requirements. There's an income threshold, so not everyone's going to apply for it. And it's being labeled as free tuition, and, and it actually will enable students to um, attend school you know, without having to pay tuition, but it's kind of, um, it fills in the gap between whatever financial aid student gets and what balances in tuition, so that it's not a, a check for your full tuition if you're getting 75% of your tuition through um, financial aid, it would fill in the other 25%. Um, so th there's that, you know, and, and, and as I said, some other, you know, conditions that go along with it. Um, but let's, um, you know, talk about what our experience was like in trying to obtain these records. And I want to start out talking about the two legislators um, who represent our area, because ultimately it was proposed by the governor, you know, to get a law enacted, has to go through both houses of the legislature, so the legislators had a role in deciding whether or not this was going to go through. Ultimately, it got rolled into the budget. Everything got approved. But, um, you know, Jen, I know you spoke with or contacted our assembly person. Right? Yeah, I sent my FOIL request to Joseph M. Giglio, who is the New York State Assemblyman of District 148. 
Um, I sent it to his Olean office, and I got the email back, I think, from his secretary saying that I had to submit it to the Albany office instead, so I filed an online request on the Assemblyman's website, um, and I received an email back a few days later, actually, that my request was denied because of the public officer's law, saying that it wasn't on the list of records that they could, like, give to people. So I, I, don't, I figured, like, I wouldn't get a response back at all, so I was kind of shocked that, like, I actually got a response. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of things we still need to follow up on. As you mentioned, the story is a work in progress. And uh, having worked in New Jersey for most of my career, I'm more familiar with public records laws there. And I know the legislature, when they passed it, exempted themselves from all requirements. They conveniently did that. So it sounds like they may have done the, the same things there. Um, Jessica, I know you reached out to our state senator. Um, can you talk about the response or lack of response? Or <coughs> Um, the New York State um, Senate actually has a website and they have the online file um, request and I filled it out um, back in early March and the lawsuit that you are supposed to receive a response back within five business days and it's now nearing the end of April and I have yet to receive any response at all saying your request is denied or we need more information or anything. They completely disregarded it. Yeah, I mean, I think just hearing from the two of you, um, you know, the process is kind of complex, you know, not that clear. I mean, Caleb, I know you were looking at, at Hinsdale, but I mean, can you talk about your experience and, you know, how easy do towns and boards of eds make it for people to get these records? Yeah, so being with a small local school, I think it was easier to get in contact with people. Um, when I sent the request for the um, records, I heard back very quickly, but, um, it was more of a, we'll have to look into it and call us back. So I called back, didn't hear back for another week or so, and then got another call about call us back. So it's still kind of iffy on you know, sending in what we asked for, but they're more responsive, I feel like, than the biggest um, government officials. Yeah, and just, I mean, because I've been kind of looking at all the responses come in, and, you know, Hinsdale's been, you know, one of the ones that at least has gotten back to, back to us uh, on that. Um, let's, um, Talk um, about a couple of the ones I, I also that have been helpful. Um, you know, Bryce, do you want to talk about your experience with the, um, I guess, Board of Ed in Allegheny? Yeah, I contacted, I requested information from um, the superintendent of Allegheny Limestone Central School, um, Dr. Karen, Dr. Karen Neal, and I heard back from an assistant within a few days, and um, I needed, to, they wanted me to clarify a little more information, so we went back and forth. Um, clarifying what exactly I was looking for. Ultimately, they didn't have the information I was looking for, but they were super helpful and willing to look for these emails. So that was really nice to see compared to what other people were going through. Yeah, I want to compare that with what Alfonso's experience in Porto. I, I seem to remember they said they had 100, in Allegheny, 111 emails. They took the time, they went through all 111 and said, you know, there wasn't anything what we were looking for. And Alfonso, you want to talk about how they responded to you in Porto? Yeah, so um, I sent uh, an email to the Portville Central School superintendent and uh, secretary a few days later emailed us back and said that the request was extensive and failed to meet uh, what they were seeking and also mentioned that he receives multiple emails a day, so um, it's hard for him to get back to us. And you know, I immediately emailed back and thanked her for the response. And I basically said I understood that um, the request might be inconvenient, but you know, it's, um, we're entitled to obtain the records under the New York Freedom of Information Law. And I sent that March 30th and haven't gotten anything back since. 
Yeah, it seems like a lot of these are kind of hanging in limbo before we move on, but we'll stay in Portville. And Emily, you contacted the municipal officials in Portville, and you want to talk about your experience there? Sure. Uh, so I, I sent a letter to the town clerk accepting uh, <coughs> information on the village mayor. And uh, first the letter was uh, returned to me because it said there was a mailing receptacle, but for the FOIL request form for Portville, the address that was on the top of the form was the address that I sent it to. So there was a, an actual mailbox. So we found the PO box, and uh, we then sent it to that. And uh, she, the uh, town clerk said she didn't have any way to get in contact with the village mayor, which I found kind of odd. Um, so instead, I uh, wrote another letter uh, requesting information about the, the town supervisor. And then I sent another FOIL letter to uh, the village clerk about yeah, just listening to everybody, and um, you know, prior to this, I was familiar with everyone's stories and had read them. But when you hear it all at once, I think it really drives home the point that yeah, there is a law in the books that makes this stuff accessible, but you kind of have to jump through hoops to get it. And if you don't do everything, if you don't, you know, dot every I, cross every T, they're going to send it back to you. And so, um, and you know, not all the experiences were negative, but you know, it kind of while we're talking about some of the difficulties um, we got, I know Taylor, you, you've had you know some trouble with dealing with the folks at Olean. So. Yeah, so I was in charge of the Olean uh, Central School District, and I wanted the emails uh, from Dr. Colleen Taggarty. She's the superintendent, and at first we accidentally sent it to the wrong address. It went to I believe the address of like the actual Olean uh, like district, not the school district. So actually, they sent it back to us and said, um, "Thanks for the thanks for the letter, but you sent it to the wrong uh, office for the FOIL request of what you're actually looking for for uh, Dr. Taggarty's." So in that response, I called. Uh, Dr. Taggarty's office expecting to get her, I guess, secretary, who we've talked to in the past, and I, she actually answered, so that was shocking. And she gave me the address of who I should send it to, but it was also a different conversation that I had uh, that we shouldn't be using FOIL requests as a learning process here at St. Bonaventure, and that kind of like shocked me uh, because Everything's a learning process, and either way, we have to learn how to do it. And by learning, is actually doing it and getting out there in the field and sending these letters and meeting with people and talking to people and hearing their responses. So I thought that was interesting for her to comment like that. And she also told me that her emails are probably already deleted or archived, so there's no point in asking for them. <laughs> so in that response, I sent the letter anyways uh, to get the emails because. Technically, I don't think you're really supposed to delete those emails, but um, she also said if they are archived, she has to pay those technicians to go look for those emails all the way back in January, which is only a few months. So it, you can literally just type in January 2nd and January 3rd and get those emails. So I sent out the letter, so I'll be waiting for a response from the Olean School District. But from the looks of it, I think I'm going to get a response with saying we cannot send you these emails. Yeah, and I mean, it is a learning process, but it's also, I mean, the classes, as you all know, run like a newsroom. There's a legitimate, you know, value in obtaining these, and, you know, it's possible. It's, you know, we don't know what we're going to find, but if there was, 
you know, a real concerted effort for or against this would be interesting for people to know that. Um, if people reacted privately through their emails differently than they did publicly, I think that would be interesting too. But um, even if we don't find anything one way or the other, you know, as we kind of learned through our conversation, I think we learned something about access to public records that is also important for people in this area to know, because it's not just journalists that have access to these records. Anyone who pays taxes, anyone who lives in a community has access to them. Um, and, but as I said, not all the you know, experiences were bad. I'm going to kind of, you know, wrap up this part of the podcast, you know, with Jason who contacted um, Jamestown Community College, which is the one SUNY institution in our area which would be affected. So um, when did you hear back from JCC? Well, first of all, I want to start by saying sorry I've been clearing my throat for the past like 15 minutes. I kind of lost my voice this morning. That's okay. Well, we had a phone ring in the middle of it, too. Oh, yeah, that's true. I was wondering if the phone call was somebody responding to someone's <laughs> FOIL request. So. But um, anyway, I um, requested information from the Jamestown Community College President, Corey Duckworth, and um, his assistant got back to me, Marshall Hearn, and she sent back four emails. Um, two of which concern the tuition-free college plan by Governor Cuomo. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, one had to do with you know, chamber meetings in the Greater Orlando Chamber of Commerce, financial meetings, like the schedule for um, the future. Um, one had to do with uh, council plans from uh, some of the regional community colleges. So she was pretty helpful. Yeah, and I think the one thing there, which is kind of what we were looking for, was uh, I, I think it was an invitation to take part in a conference call uh, on the, what at that time was a proposal. Um, so, uh, so you know, that's kind of where we are. Um, I think what we need to do is, there's, as I said, there's a lot of things that are still in limbo. Maybe give one last, you know, email or, or letter to everyone and let them know that, you know, we're about to start putting the story together uh, and, you know, see if, if they, you know, do want to respond because, you know, it's, we should give them every opportunity. I mean, they, they should proactively respond to these, but um, as journalists, it's our responsibility to follow up and make sure that happens. So I just want to go around the table to wrap up and, and kind of find out from everybody, you know, your thoughts and, you know, what you think you learned from this process, not just in terms of journalism, but access to public records, you know, why you think it's important that people have access, you know, to this. So I'll start to my left, and Alfonso, you want to kick things off? Yeah, um, well, first, I think it is, like, important for, like, you know, to have, like, these records because people want to know what's going on. Again, it's their right. And really what, uh, what I learned from my town is that um, it's not always easy <coughs> to get the records. So that's basically what I learned with that. Okay, great. Caleb? Um, yeah, I think one thing that you have to realize is um, a lot of people aren't going to be, uh, like, as proactive as you would like that, so you have to really have to push buttons to get them. I think it's given an opportunity to let us slide, but it's like, though, so you kind of have to be like a little bit of a test to try to get what you want. Yeah, I mean, people, you know, they do have a responsibility to make these public, but, you know, as with most of journalism, you really have to push. So. You know, Bryce? Um, I think that while many of us have issues um, getting this information, I think the actual act of requesting the information wasn't too difficult, and I think I realized that it's something that really anyone can do if they want to get information from somebody in their community. Yeah, exactly. And actually, while you're talking, it reminded me when I guess Teller's conversation with the superintendent's office about the cost involved, and you know, towns, you know, governments are, are allowed to 
charge for copies of records, and we did indicate in our request that you know we would pay up to a certain amount if there was a cost involved in it. So, um, Emily. I agree with Bryce, uh, you know, how simple it was, because for Sparkville, the request form is literally uh, two boxes you could check, you know, for certain information, so that was really simple. Uh, but I think just, like, the, the process of kind of, like, running in circles and jumping through things, like you said, uh, it's just a little um, stressful and uncomfortable. Yeah, I mean, I think it's people, it's easy to give up. You know, you might start out, you know, wanting to get some records and, you know, if you get a letter back and you have to do another step, you know, I'm sure, you know, not everyone's going to do steps two and three if that's required. Um, it also strikes me that the more we talk that there's no consistency. Like you said, Portville has a form. Other towns don't have a form. In some towns, there's someone designated as the records person. In other towns, you just kind of have to kind of guess who you would um, contact with. Uh, Jen, your thoughts? Yeah, I actually had that experience. I kind of had to guess who to send it to because they didn't really have like a person that I should send it to. So I had to like kind of research about that. But like even though I got a, like a denial of request from my request, I feel like my experience wasn't like really bad because like I mean I had to send it to like a different office. They got back to me like right away. So I mean it wasn't like terrible, but I feel like some people. Yeah, I mean, you were dealing with a much larger office, the state yeah. assembly, so they, they're probably more used to dealing with these. Uh, I kind of suspect some of the towns we contacted may never have received a freedom of information request before, so you know when they got it, they weren't quite sure what to do with it. Yeah, no, I think that's kind of what it was, because like yeah. it was mostly the schools that didn't really get back to people, but like I was kind of shocked that I even got a response, because like he's probably really busy. But yeah. Okay, you know Taylor. Um, I don't know, I guess what I've learned is to always recheck uh, where you're sending your information to. Um, that was definitely my mistake of sending it to the wrong person, but I should not have been told that it was a, uh, a learning process because we're seen as reporters and that's kind of a cool thing to be seen as when you're only juniors and seniors in college. But off of what Jen was saying, um, I think it's awesome that she got a response and they were denied. I think that's like, I think that's cooler to say that you were denied than to actually get a response because it's like, okay, like I guess I'm just gonna either keep pushing or I'm gonna use that in the story that we were denied your emails, which I'm pretty sure, like, were they really that important? So yeah. now it can you can let the reader decide, like, were they that important? Were they denying them or were they just not too lazy to like look for these emails right. and not? Are not too lazy, but maybe too busy in their office to look for these emails for us. So, out of Jen's response, um, I think I would like to get a deny from <laughs> only in school district. Yeah, I, I think when people read the stories or read any story, if they see a reporter requested information and that request was turned down, naturally you become suspicious as to why. Uh, which is why when I worked on the other side of the business in public relations, I always encourage the people that I worked for to be as open as possible because a no comment or not providing information, you know, tends to send out a red flag that there's something there. Okay. Exactly. I think the other thing we learned from your experience is people are going to react very differently um, depending on what the setting is. I know, as you said, you had dealt with the superintendent, you had a, you know, you did a feature story on her retirement, and then all of a sudden when you're asking a different type of question, it's almost like you're dealing with another person, and that's, you know, experience, I've had similar experiences dealing with people, and I think if you haven't had those already, you know, you're going to have them. When you're doing something that's a nice, positive, valuable story, 
is one thing, but when they, you know, you start asking for information that they might not want out there right away, suddenly, you know, their personality changes. Right. It was like, are you trying to hide something? But yeah. like, why would you hide something about yeah. <laughs> something so simple that we're just asking for? So it's kind of an interesting talk that I have with her on the phone. But I think that's also what the what was different about mine is I she actually talked to me on the phone right. about it, and I was like, oh, so you kind of get to hear her side because. Usually, I would have had to, I would have had to go through someone else to get her emails. I wouldn't go directly to her, but that's who it's had to call to get the yeah address from her. Yeah, in most cases, it was a secretary or assistant who provided the information or the response. Okay. Um, Jessica, your thoughts as we wrap up today? I definitely thought it was shocking to see that even though the documents are clearly delineated, this is what is acceptable, this is what is covered under the Freedom of Information request, that so many people got back to us and just blatantly ignored all of the regulations and said, no, that doesn't count because we don't want it to. I thought that definitely was shocking and I can't believe that it's actually holding up and um, it's kind of something that I want to pursue more because the law is there and people can't just ignore the law when they feel that it benefits them more. Um, I also think that having the um, online form, although it might be convenient, it also makes it very convenient for the people on the other side of the process to ignore it um, and to just um, act under the guise that um, they didn't see it and that um, it got lost in translation, which clearly can happen. But I think maybe um, we should investigate more into like how um, responsive people are to the online forums and if they're actually effective and how often this happens. Yeah, I know, not with, with this, but a lot of times with online forums, you click send and you never know where it's going to go. <coughs> it's going to go into a black hole someplace or things like that. And um, here, the other point was well taken that, you know, people can tell us, oh, that's not subject to the law. We're not experts on the law. But, you know, fortunately, New York State does have a law, um, an, an office and a person who deals with these kinds of things. And I think at some point, you know, in some of the cases where people did deny us access to records, you know, um, they'll, they'll give us rulings or they'll give us feedback. So I think we'll compile all them maybe into one email, send it off, and, and see. We'll get an answer back, yes, you know, they were correct. This is not subject to the law. Or no, you do have a right to this. You should follow up. So, uh, okay. Jason? Well, I was lucky enough to get, you know, a response. Okay. But some people were denied, of course. Um, I think either way, though, it's a good learning experience in the realm of you know, journalistic pursuit and um, establishing contact with others we might not have had communication with otherwise. Yeah, it's definitely it's an important tool for all journalists just to know that you can't, I mean, in anything that is paid for with taxpayer dollars, government, you know, public schools, you know, you have an access to, you know, any records, you have access to email. I mean, just like with the tuition, you know, bill, there's, you know, there's limits and there's exceptions. Certain things are not public, but there's a lot out there that you do have a right to, to get to. So um, I think we're, you know, nearing the end of our time. So thanks. I think it's been a great conversation. So thank Alfonso, Caleb, Bryce, Emily, Jen, Taylor, Jess, and Jason. Got everyone's names right. Um, <laughs> It should have. It's almost the end of the semester. So. Um, you've been listening to a podcast uh, from TAP Integrator Olean. Uh, my name is Rich Lee. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll be back um, next week with another podcast.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.